Listen carefully. My biggest fantasy Premier League tip of the week. Ignore every single word that I say because I've had a shocker. <laughs> Tipping Liverpool to stay up this year. <laughs> Thanks for explaining how the Premier League works then. Enjoy that now. No. <laughs> uh, Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Football Times podcast with myself, RadioTimes.com sport editor Michael Potts. And I'm joined in the virtual studio, not by Mr. Jake Wilson, but by BBC Match of the Day magazine deputy editor, Lee Stobbs, and new, new FA Cup goal scorer, Mr. Lee Stobbs. How are you doing, sir? First of all, that is very kind of you to mention that straight off the bat, so <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm good, Michael. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well. I mean, I haven't scored in any sort of, you know, domestic cup competitions at all. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us about it. Tell us about it. Aylesbury Town, am I right in thinking? Aylesbury United, yeah. So I played for Aylesbury United um, and we had a qualifying game and I scored in the game. Unfortunately, we actually went out on penalties in that game and I did miss a penalty, but I did score. So, so there's that. Need to say that. You didn't need to say that, man. We could have <laughs> just left it. You could have been the hero. <laughs> we have to be honest. We have to be honest. <laughs> Nice one. Well, yep, I have not achieved as much during lockdown, but I'm glad you're glad you're doing all right um, for your first cap of the season. Um, yeah, I've well been getting my match fitness a little bit. I've been training, and I'm ready for some yeah. now, so. Excellent. Well, that's good stuff. I mean, you've warmed up. We're ready to go, so I'm expecting big things here. Um, in addition to our FA Cup goal scoring hero, we have um, we have Mr. David James, um, England goal, former England goalkeeper, not still playing, but you know, could. Uh, we, he'll be joining us for an interview a little bit later on. Uh, but first up, we're going to preview some of the big Premier League games on TV this weekend. Uh, we're starting on Saturday. It's on Sky Sports Premier League main event and now TV with Leeds versus Manchester City. Um, and I'd like to start this little preview with a, an unreserved apology to Mr. Patrick Bamford, um, <laughs> who I believe I may have... Um, suggested was was a David Nugent of sorts, uh, a player who was kind of stuck between leagues, smashed the championship ish, and uh, and couldn't quite make them in the Premier League. But he's proving me and everybody wrong. He, he's one of these players, isn't he? He's had a crack at the Prem a few times. He's never really had a real run though, and now it seems like in a structure with consistency and a bit of faith in his ability, he's performing, and, and that's what can happen. I think I looked at his stats at previous clubs in the Prem. He's played six, seven, or eight games here or there. But now, I know it's only three games, but it's clear that he is, you know, he's Leeds' main striker. He will play. So that little bit of faith is, is doing well for him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he must have been sort of nervous, I guess, going into the season. Even if he wouldn't admit it, he must have been a little bit feeling the, the weight of expectation. Because I know Leeds fans obviously expecting huge things from their side in the next few years. And, and knowing that he wasn't always on the right side of the fans, I guess, last season, even, even when they were coming up. Um, but what a weight off the show. That must be such an amazing feeling. Actually, what's it, three and three now? Um, just just to get, get rolling along with Leeds. It's great stuff. That's it. He's, I, th- I guess he just had that tag, didn't he? Like, can he do it in the Prem? You don't want them quest- questions sort of looming over you. And, and as a striker, as cliche as it is, the only thing you can do is, is score goals to kind of shake that. And he is. So fair play to him. Absolutely. And last time out for Leeds, obviously a nice. Uh, nice little win over Sheffield United, courtesy of last minute Bamford goal. Um, that's probably there in some way. I know they got a lot of praise for their result, their performance against Liverpool. Um, they be following fourth, be but keeping a clean sheet, a win away from home. That's quite a good sort of professional result for them, isn't it? Really, a nice, a nice slick result. It's gonna, you know, you stay up with one nils, not four threes every week. 
That's exactly it. But like, what's not to love about Leeds at the moment? Like, they're just so the biggest team in the league. The kamikaze, the managers sits on a bucket. Like, they're just they're just brilliant, <laughs> aren't they? They're, they're, they are box office. So it's brilliant to have them back. And and you're right, they've had some good results. And I just think any game that they're in, especially this weekend, like you know, you're going to get good viewing. And I think this is the game to watch this weekend, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And we've seen, obviously, going on to Man City now, we've seen how they've been, I know, obviously, last se- the end of last season, they-, they turned Liverpool over. But teams who go to Man City, teams who go there, press, push, hassle and hurry and, and-, and put a lot of pressure on them tend to be the teams who get something from City. Um, maybe a little bit nervous this weekend uh, with-, with Leeds, with Leeds to- well, going to Leeds, sorry. That's it. I think I think Leeds will quietly, quietly fancy themselves that so they might nick something. I think if you get the balls in behind Man City at the moment, they're they're quite vulnerable. And it seems like their defence still from last season just isn't quite settled. To me, when I look at City and I've watched them so far, I know there hasn't been that many games, but it's just like they're just not ready. They weren't ready for the season to begin. I know a lot of teams probably mm-hmm. weren't, but the kind of scale of the challenge that they had to mount again the season to come back and try and win the league, it just kind of seems like they've not been ready. Um, I reckon mm. Leeds could nick it. Yeah, and, and you look at I'm just looking quickly at the at the bench as well for City last week. So I went through. It was Cole Palmer, Tommy Doyle, Liam Delap, and you got Zinchenko, Ferran Torres, Laporte coming back to fitness, and then Zach Steff and the goalkeeper. It's it's not this sort of deep City that we're used to. I know they've got injury problems. I know Bernardo is sort of coming back and things, but but relying on people like Delap to come off the bench as, as you know, no disrespect to him at all. Absolutely fair play for coming on and scoring a goal at 17. Um, it, it's just not maybe the same deep frightening the city. I, I don't know if they've maybe lost a bit of that aura. Teams maybe aren't quite as scared to go up against them. Leicester weren't last week, surely. Um, it, it's interesting with, with Aguero and, and Jesus out how, I know defence is their issue and, and has been for a while, but even going forward, they maybe lack a little bit of few options up there maybe yeah injuries have definitely hit him haven't they the one thing they have got at the moment is that Mares is he's kind of carried mm. on from the end of last season he looks a lot like the Leicester Mares again he's got he's always dangerous when he's on the ball but you know what looking at their team I'm just thinking about Aguero like at 32 we always know that he's had these little injuries here and there at what point does City have to start planning for life without Aguero mm. they can't just keep shoving Sterling up front like he, he can do a job as people say but they, they yeah. need a big striker and it's sort of a time like this when you go against a lead side where a team like Leeds will fancy it because they haven't maybe got that that massive goal threat that they would have when someone like Aguero is in the team. Mm, absolutely. And uh, prediction for this one, I know you've, you've suggested Leeds might nick something here. <laughs> I'm really not sure, but I, I think I'm going to go for a 3-3. I think there's going to be goals at both yeah. ends. I think it's going to be a massive, massive blockbuster. Well, I'm tuning in for the Lee Stobbs weekend of Sky Sports <laughs> drama because a 3-3 between Leeds and City is what I want to see. Um, I, I'm going with a narrow City win, but I, I do think I think goals, I think a 2-1 or a 3-2, just sort of narrowly nicking it, I think it'll be a very, very good game to watch. Um, moving on to Super Sunday, we have Arsenal versus Sheffield United. It's a two o'clock kickoff Sky Sports Premier League main event, Now TV. Um, Arsenal, obviously your team. Have um, you enjoyed watching this season? What, what are your thoughts so far? I, I watched them on Monday night and I wasn't quite sure what I thought of them, to be fair. Well, I, as an Arsenal fan, I'm very content. I mean, first and foremost, I think I've said this on the pod before, that I'm just happy that I've actually got an Arsenal team, which I actually like. Like, for yeah. years, we've, we've had a team where we've been very like disappointed in certain areas, but 
All the players are very likable. And look, dare I say it, I think Arsenal in general, to even other fans, Arteta has actually made them quite likable. We've got good characters. He puts faith in young players. He's honest in his interviews. I'm happy with Arsenal and where they're at. I mean, we've got Liverpool again tonight. We don't want to get beaten by Liverpool twice in one week, but um, I'm happy so far. Yeah, I, I watched them on Monday. I, I agree with everything that I, I really like. Sort of, I like what Arteta is doing. I really like Arteta himself. I think he speaks so much sense, um, and and obviously you can tell he's he's come through the the Pep Guardiola school of of tinkering and toying with tactical <laughs> innovations. Oh, definitely. Um, one which didn't quite, I just. I didn't quite get away with this playing around at the back on Monday night, this sort of extreme playing around at the back. Uh, I'm all for innovation. I don't want to be sort of, you know, the Steve Bruce uh, (laughs) school of just hit and hope. But I just think it invited so much pressure and Liverpool just didn't fall for it at all. I think think their midfield three sort of sat a bit deeper and they were always quite wary um, of, of being drawn too high up the pitch. And I think it just made Arsenal maybe... Look a little bit silly in the end. I don't know. I, I, what do you think? I mean, I are mean, we going to see a similar thing tonight? Or I think I quite like it that in, in a way Arteta, even if you know he would have seen that, he'd have seen it was a little bit shaky. But he wants to put faith in the players and give them confidence, even if it doesn't go well. He wants to tell them the next game, I want you to do it again because I have faith in your ability to do it successfully. And I think you know against a team like Liverpool, maybe it is daft because they're the best pressers of the ball in, in the world. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the faith he has in the players to do it. And I think you'll only get better at doing that by continuously doing it and doing it wrong. Liverpool didn't get brilliant and Man City didn't get brilliant at playing out from the back by not making mistakes. They had to make the mistakes to learn from them. And I think that's just the, the sort of process that Arsenal are going through at the moment. You know, we're chopping and changing a lot of defenders, getting used to um, like the back four, back three, whatever he plays. And hopefully... Hopefully we'll get better, but you know, against Liverpool, you are going to get found out if you, if you don't do it absolutely yeah. to the point. Yeah, absolutely. And and going into this weekend, um, obviously from one end of the table to the other, uh, we've got Sheffield United up next, bottom of the league, three defeats uh, in three games. It's not like an ideal for them at the moment, is it? Obviously, um, had such a, a fairy tale start to the season under under Chris Wilder, um, and then lockdown came, and they just seemed to lose a bit of that clinical edge they were sort of winning one nils and then drawing one ones and then that started to turn into losing one nils drawing one ones um it's goals isn't it i mean i feel like i feel like it's very easy to diagnose that problem yeah. but um ollie mcburney scored six in, in 36 last season um for their sort of big money signing last year um i feel like it's got a lot, a lot of sort of classic hard workers in there and a lot of players who will who will run about and who will, will chase every ball and and work hard for the team, all the cliches. We'll bring them all out. <laughs> I feel like um, the fans will sort of love you so much for that. And, uh, you know, the, but that credit will run out eventually. And you kind of have to turn that hard work into, into a very, you know, clinical end product. Um, I just worry about them on the goals output. Yeah, I mean, last season, I think they broke even, didn't they? I think they scored about 39 and, and conceded 39. But... But Sheffield United have always been built on being difficult to beat. I think they were like that in the Championship. They're like that now. But now they've established themselves as, as this team in the Premier League as well. They've kind of taken the ethos into the Premier League. I think now is the time to start adding that, you know, a bit different up front, for example. I think they brought in Mousset, which he came on and scored a few goals at the end of last season, but he's had injury problems. Um, but maybe that's why, apparently, you know, they're, they're very desperate to get Brewster in now to change up that attack. They've seen they're looking at David Brooks as well from 
from Bournemouth. So they're, they're clearly trying to add quality and something different in that final third. Because as you say, like McGoldrick, Billy Sharp, McBurney, all quite not the most mobile strikers, um, mm. kind of link men. So they, they do need that little bit more up front, don't they, to, to add goals? Yeah, Brewster is an interesting one, isn't he? I, I mean, I don't know what where his future lies, but it seems it seems with with Jota turning up for Liverpool, getting the start, and, and Minamino playing there as well, that um, that he may be sort of moved on, loaned out, sold. Who, who knows what the what the deal would be? But yeah, you think a little bit extra zip, a bit, bit of something. Yeah, in the last game up front, and I think he just ran his yeah. socks off basically. But ultimately, they need that. They need a striker with something a little bit different. I think someone like Brewster, that sort of energy, that sort of freshness, I think that's the, the signing they really need. I'm, I've been reading that apparently it's going to be a loan and Liverpool want around £5 million, um, as, as a loan fee. And I'm not sure Sheffield United are prepared to, to pay that. So it depends. I mean, with a week to go, it's one of those that you think probably will get done. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, prediction for this one, Arsenal versus Sheffield United. I really obviously want to say Arsenal are going to win, but I'm worried. <laughs> I think it's going to be a 1-1. And, and the reason for that is because I think people will say this is a good time to play Sheffield United. I actually disagree. I think it's a terrible time because I imagine Chris Wilder's had them running up hills, dragging tyres around the <laughs> yeah. training pitch. And I just think they're going to be a different animal this weekend. So I'm going to go for a draw. I, I, can, I can buy that. I can get on board with that, I think. Yeah, again, Arsenal have got all the, all the weapons to win. Um, it's just whether you know Sheffield United having Chris Wilder breathing down your neck every week. Um, that is that is not going to be a pleasant experience, and they'll want to do anything to to avoid that. So um, I may, may join you with that one one there. Um, and then once that game is over, we have Manchester United versus Spurs. It's a four thirty kickoff, also on Sky Sports Premier League main event, and now TV. Um, two interesting sides, probably aiming for a similar sort of position this year. Both. Slightly unconvincing, but both with some pretty decent results. Feels like quite an even game, this one, going into it. Yeah, they're, they're both kind of the nearly men, aren't they? They're both quite nearly there. And, and you know, this is the game they both really need to win. I think Man United are never too far from a crisis, are they? And after losing yeah. to Palace, squeezing past Brighton, like, if they don't win this, I think the pressure starts to mount on Oli. And I know, I know that might be might be harsh but that's just what it is when you're a Man United manager right if you, if you don't have a great start to the season the pressure's going to start so I think Man United need this win massively mm. It's funny I've written down in my notes here um, United finding their feet everything heightened by the media uh, <laughs> with United one loss and it's a crisis one win and it's Fergie reincarnate Absolutely. so um, but I agree uh, the pressure is very much on Solskjaer he's, he's not a new manager of Man United um, I think it's still early days. I, th- I think a lot of it, and, and this could be the case with City as well, are they sort of ready for the season to go again? I mean, they barely, barely had a break from, from Europe to the start of the Premier League. Um, they've played fewer games than everybody else. Obviously, in the cup games, they've rotated a bit. Fitness could be, could be a bit of an issue for them at the, at the start of the season, you, you may think. Definitely, yeah. It looks like they're a little bit leggy and I guess that's why maybe they started a little bit later. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the same for everyone really, isn't it? Give or take a, a few weeks, it's the same for everyone. Yeah. And moving on to Spurs. Uh, Spurs, again, I, th- I think they'll be fine this season, I would say. I, um, I I don't quite know what fine means, but I think I think it means top six. Um, they dominated. I watched that Newcastle game last week. I mean, they dominated Newcastle from, from the very first whistle. Uh, Son two off the woodwork would have killed the game, sort of dead. 
Um, another couple of chances that they probably should have should have tucked away. I don't really think they have like a glaring weakness. I thought they were just, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about the handball rule in a little while, I'm sure. Um, but I just think it was a terrible bit of luck at the end. And I know that's not what people want to hear because that's an easy get out almost for managers. Bad luck went against us. Mm. But I actually thought they played very well. And, and obviously we have Gareth Bale coming in at some point. It's not a bad reinforcement to make. <laughs> and... Um, and a new potential friend of the pod, Tangai Ndombele. Philip have mentioned him a couple of times, and uh, he's looking like the player we thought he was going to be when Spurs signed him. Yeah, he's just had a bit of trouble, hasn't he? Kind of getting into the starting lineup, coming in and out, but we all know he's a great player, and he, and he should be in that midfield. Tottenham are a, a strange team, because they've got such a good squad. We all know they've got amazing players. It's just about them clicking, mm. and quietly, I think they are clicking, and I think if Bale can come in and actually have an impact then they're going to be very dangerous. That front three is arguably one of the best in the world if they're all absolutely at it. But with Bale, it's, yeah. it's hard to know. I think we expect him to be the Bale that we all know from years ago. But for me, he could come in and score you know, 20 goals or he might play 10 games and then get sold to China in, in, in next summer. It's really hard to predict what yeah. we're going to get. Yeah, same. I, I wonder about how quickly they can get up to speed. And obviously, if Sun's out as well, you kind of, I mean, I assume they're both going to be back fit after the international break, um, which will be interesting to see how it goes from there. But, um, but yeah, there's not really, again, repeating it, but I don't think they really have a weakness, as in there's not one area of their squad where you think, oh, they're, they're really lacking there. I feel like, again, and Dumbele stepping up um, looks a bit like sort of Musa Dembele's air, almost sort of carrying <laughs> the ball from midfield. Um, yeah, they're just looking pretty good all across the park, and I, and I quite fancy them to to go on and have a have a pretty decent season, um, even if they are sort of you know a year or two away from getting back to outskirts of a of a title challenge. Um, I think they're I think they're looking pretty healthy so far. Um, I mean, we're recording this before they get inevitably dumped out of the <laughs> Europa League tonight, you know. But oh well, let's let's laugh at that tomorrow. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, prediction for this one Man United v Spurs I have gone for a 2-2 okay. I'm going with I think I'm going with Spurs you know I think I'm going Ooh, with a narrow okay. KG 1-0 win I, no. I fancy them I fancy a classic them. Mourinho um, a classic Mourinho and uh, <laughs> that we haven't seen for a while <laughs> and um, and yet for all the, the full round of Premier League fixtures live on TV this weekend you can check out our fixtures page on radiotimes.com slash sport and we'll keep you in the loop with all the channels times and, and everything else you need to know um, now we brought you a chat with Manchester United legend Andy Cole last week and we're following it up with another all-time Premier League great today he spent 18, he's smiling at me as well. He spent 18 years in, uh, between the sticks in the top flight, making 572 appearances, keeping 169 clean sheets with zero goals, which was a slight disappointment. Uh, we're joined by former Liverpool, Man City and England goalkeeper, David James. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, sir. How are you doing? My pleasure, thank you very much. Yeah, the zero goals is a bit of a disappointment considering I had all of those minutes up front for Man City. Yeah. You'd have thought of a back one or two, wouldn't you? I had a look. Yeah, you had two assists, so you know. I mean, that's that's something. That's some fantasy points there. But years, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, it's not the sort of uh, form to be put in a fantasy football team, is it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but the clean sheets will have done. Um, I actually had a look. I was doing my research. You've made a thousand and one appearances over your career. Does it does it feel like a thousand and one appearances? I think that number is. Oh, is that what? I think that yeah. was for, that was for club and country 
in all competitions. Is it, no, my, thousand, my thousandth appearance was in Iceland. Oh, fair play. Okay. For a team called IBV, and we played Phil Kier, um one one nil. Nice. To, uh, to celebrate the, the thousand, well, yeah, we celebrated anyway, but it was a thousand yeah. appearance. <laughs> then I went out to play in India, so I think the number might be close to 115. Oh, fair play. I mean, yeah. there's my, uh, there's my research blown out the water. Um, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so I'm fascinated, genuinely fascinated by goalkeeping because I don't understand goalkeeping. Um, I kind of, I feel like there's been a few sort of goalkeeping firestorms at the minute. There's a few keepers under pressure and not very many goalkeeping pundits who can actually sort of are they, tell us about why why they're so you know performing so poorly, etc. Do you get frustrated sometimes when you see outfield players trying to teach you your art? I guess. Well, um, I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say no, yeah. because arguably, then as a goalkeeping pundit, I couldn't talk about outfield play, so I, I wouldn't say that. I think the, that. the problem is it's uh, it is like you said a unique position in so many different ways and. Um, Actually, understanding what a mistake is is a difficulty, as opposed to thinking that you've seen something go wrong. Because once it's in the back of the net, then arguably something has gone wrong. So mm. I get frustrated when people don't actually realise what the problem is. And so often, and what's been happening in recent times, um, I think you find there's some goalkeepers getting a lot of stick, and it's not always down to uh, their mistakes. But mm. that's the nature of the business, and uh, criticism was aimed at me. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> It happened to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come to a few individual keepers in a moment. Um, I guess what what can you alluded to it there? Sort of what can fans look out for um, from a goalkeeper's performance to sort of assess that performance? What what sort of mistakes can a fan sort of look out for? Really? Okay, well, I suppose one going through the legs is a, is a clear indicator. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it is difficult to say. I mean, the problem is, and I, I follow other sports, and I'm not blessed with having sort of participated in them so you rely yeah. a lot on the said expert to give you an indication and quite often they haven't done it either so uh, it's, it's very difficult I mean you know if it's clear and obvious and it sounds like the handball debate now doesn't it if it's clear and obvious then uh, it's usually a mistake but as I say when you're when you're sort of the, the brunt of a lot of criticism it doesn't matter what you do you're going to be making mistakes mm. Just, I think just enjoy the game. Don't get too worried about it, unless it's your team, of course, and then uh, then you can have a go. Yeah, for sure. Um, going into the, the specific keepers now, uh, we've seen Jordan Pickford having a bit of a tough time. Obviously, a, a hero at the World Cup, um, a hometown mm. hero of mine, as you can tell, probably from, from the <laughs> accent. Um, yeah, I, I guess, do you, what do you make of Pickford this season, or even the last sort of season and a half? Um, and do you think the criticism was fair? Well, I think this season, I mean, we're only obviously new into the season, aren't we? I, th I think this season for England, in the games he's played, um, faultless. Mm. Two clean sheets. I think he's done, uh, he's done well there. I think for Everton, he's, there was some criticism aimed at him. I think it was in the cup, wasn't it, the other day? Yeah. But they still went through. Mm. And it's one of those things, have a bad game and win, then you're happy. And I just think that, again, the, the sort of the piled-on criticism is unjustified in the large amount. Um, what he's doing for England justifies him being selected for England again. So I don't see, uh, I don't necessarily see a problem at international level. Obviously, if you're in a run of bad form, and I don't think Jordan Pickford is at the moment, I just don't think he's 
attaining the heights that he had been doing to get him in the position of England's number one. Sure. Um, but if you were in a run of bad form, then eventually these mistakes are going to lead to losing games. And uh, but Jordan Pickford is not in that position at the moment, so I'm not adding any fuel to that argument. Yeah. I think he'll, he'll be all right. He's a young man with a great future ahead of him. As if to say he hasn't had a great career yeah, so far. Course. Of course. He had me standing on a table, I believe, in a bar from that Columbia penalty. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And David De Gea, obviously, there's an interesting sort of Man United development with, with um, Henderson going back there and the sort of that, you know, will he, won't he get in that, that number one spot. Um, how do you sort of rate both of those keepers from, from what you've seen of them so far? Obviously, De Gea has had his critics as well in, in recent times. Yeah, I think the, I mean, dare I say a nice thing, and it's got nothing to do with my affiliations to any other club <laughs> and not Manchester, of course, but the nice thing is that we've got an English keeper competing with a goalkeeper, which in the last four years, five years even, has been regarded as one of the best in the world, in Europe definitely, but one of the best in the world. So the fact that we've got a goalkeeper in Henderson who's gone back, um, I didn't see the game the other night against Luton, but apparently he was, again, involved in keeping a clean sheet you know, highly with a massive save and therefore allowing Man United to put on, what was it, £200 million worth of substitutes yeah. to, uh, to finally run. I'm a Luton Town fan as well, so that hurt oh. me even more. <laughs> um, oh man, not enough take, bad, bringing £200 million off the bench. Uh, <laughs> the, the idea that, um, as I say, uh, Hendo's had a fantastic season last year with Sheffield United, as everybody knows. The fact that he can go back to Manchester United and put up an argument mm. is, is refreshing. Yeah. Um, obviously, David De Gea, has, as I say, for the last four or five years has been outstanding and therefore it's going to be a tough ask even for Hendo to take his place, which going back to Jordan Pickford, yeah. makes Jordan Pickford's position a little bit more comfortable, you would argue. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and the final one, probably the, the most under fire, under pressure goalkeeper is uh, Kepa Arizabalaga for Chelsea. Um, to the mm -hmm. point where they've now actually gone and sort of signed a, a potential replacement, Caballero's sort of starting there as well. Do you, do you think it's quite harsh? He's a young keeper, he's come over to um, the Premier League, he's had a season and, and not quite hit the heights. But to sort of look like they're trying to replace him or edge him out already, seems does that seem quite premature to you? Uh, I, well, I don't know, Frank. Um, I don't know Frank's reasoning for for signing Mendy other than... Mendy is 20, what, 28 years old. Mm. Um, I think he's more of a challenger or a, a better support act, if you like, than uh, possibly Willy Caballero. Uh, I'd like Kepper. I had, I'd liked him when they signed him. Yes, he hasn't had the greatest of starts. I think it's two years now, isn't it? He's at yeah. Chelsea. Um, but the potential he's got, especially when you consider they spent £71 million on him, you would expect him to, even if he loses his place, which he did um, last match, even if he loses it for a short period of time, sure. the, to rebuild him, to get him back to what would be a 72, 71 million pound goalkeeper. I mean, he's got all the capabilities, um, just perhaps hasn't got the confidence in the moment. And I say that because he looks like it, not because other people are saying it. Mm. And obviously when he's not playing, then Franco's, uh, Franco's got other ideas. At the, at the, at the time now, but long-term, Kepa should be the solution. I don't think Mendy is 
Chelsea's first team goalkeeper, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and do you think uh, you've mentioned their confidence? That seems like a massive part of goalkeeping, just having that, you know, once you get into a, a good run of form, it just seems to go for you when things go against you. It just seems to keep going against you. Do you think that's the case with, with, with a position like, like goalkeeper? Yeah, and people talk about momentum. Sorry, I'm going off on a yeah, tangent here. But confidence like momentum, the, the idea that winning a game and then winning the next game or keeping a clean sheet one after the other will mean you'll be more confident going into the next match. And if you're good, that should mean a win. Uh, if you look at Bayern Munich this weekend on the on the back of what's it, 23 consecutive wins, then the 24 should be easy. Yeah. And then being beat 4-1 by Offenheim. So you know, it's um, like confidence. It's not so much the actual performances; it's what you do in between. And I think looking at Kepa, it would have been very difficult to find confidence in training sessions if the, the performance themselves aren't working and also because the game's been coming thick and fast. So sometimes you need the breather. We've got an international break coming up. So maybe the international break will be an opportunity for him to, dare I say, get his head straight, um, come back into Chelsea, get back into training and get back hopefully to playing and, uh, as I say, proving his worth. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess, and finally, sort of going from one end of the, the scale from Premier League goalkeepers to where you are right now, um, you're, you're back in your old, old stomping ground, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Well, Wellington City is my the town I was born in, brought up in, or brought up in, grew up in. Um, <laughs> yeah. My Wellington City Football Club, which is a grassroots football club here in Wellington. Yes. And yes, I'm here with, uh, with Utilita, with our Switch Before Pitch campaign, because the COVID-19 pandemic, as you know, as football fans, has, has affected everybody, um, not only financially, obviously, with, uh, with regards to the ability to, to generate or participate in football. Um, and with the report, it shows that there's a potential that we could lose 10% of our grassroots football clubs. Yes. And as I stand here in the bar talking to you, in the bar, not in the bar, I'm in the club. <laughs> Just, just, yeah, just to clarify, this part of the bar's club. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, the idea that people can't play football, but more importantly on a community level, people can't fully access the facilities and with restrictions in the bar, not only in, um, in distancing, social distancing, but also with the fact that the, uh, the close time now is 10 o'clock, that's going to have an impact on the grassroots clubs ability to earn money and then you add in all the other factors that they're not allowed to able so say not able to utilize all the facilities in the current climate that's going to have another impact on uh, on grassroots football and as i say this report highlights that so well uh, that it's quite scary mm. and well on the football club is just one typical grassroots football club which you will yeah. see across the whole country even up where you are yeah, and it's so important, isn't it? Where you, I mean, you see Jamie Vardy scoring a hat trick from like this non-league wonder story, and then it's so important to, to that these football clubs survive from from the very bottom grassroots grassroots level to you know the upper non-league to the lower leagues. Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting when you mentioned Jamie Vardy, of course, because he is the the great success story. Mm. Uh, Apologise to any Manchester City fans out there, <laughs> but what he does was courtesy of being in the system. Um, but when it comes to grassroots, you know, we're talking kids as young yeah, as I, I was beaten in very, a penalties yeah. the other day by some 10 year olds. Um, you're going from young kids all the way through to fifth year olds. I mean, I use this facility with my mates for, uh, for five a side games. So nice. the club itself, as a grassroots club, offers so much to the community. And that's the bit that I'm worried about, or the report highlights, and that was, has become a concern because we're affecting 
or it is affecting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people when you add them all up with regards to their involvement in the community. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time, David, and um, absolute best of luck to the club and, and to yourself. And fingers crossed that some support uh, comes their way from, from the powers that be. Thank you. John Henson, legend. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> David James there slipping in a shout out to the great man, Jordan Henderson, for no apparent reason other than he heard my voice. Um, big love, David. Big love. Um, now, moving on. Listen carefully. My biggest fantasy Premier League tip of the week. Ignore every single word that I say because I've had a shocker. <laughs> oh, no. What's happened? Come on. Oh, I wildcarded last week. I wildcarded last week. And, and how um, did you do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not great. It's not ideal. Um, I had Jimenez up top. Um, oh, I mean, I already had Jimenez, but that, that didn't go too well for me. Did you get over um, 40 points? I think it was 38, I think. Oh, anything <laughs> below 40 is just not good enough, is it? It's not, is it? No, I, I mean, th- thanks, thanks. I um, <laughs> between, between my three Wolves players, I had, I think it was Cordy, um, Cordy Podence and Jimenez. My three Wolves players combined got minus one. Which, oh, I mean, what, Still what waiting for Podence to come alive. I thought he was my masterstroke at like 5.5 million or 5 million, whatever it is. Yeah. Still not quite. I think he got an assist. Very key. Yeah. I um yeah so don't don't listen to anything I say basically. I've um, this week I've taken Sun out. I've done a little bit of uh, economics shuffling around, taken Sun out and managed to squeeze Salah in there as well. Mm. Um, so Salah and De Bruyne both in there. I had quite a strong bench, so I've kind of yeah I've, I've re reassigned finances. We'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any top tips for me? <laughs> Please help me. Please help me. For me, I've just gone Son and Martial out, and I've gone Mares and Vardy in. For Mares, I just think after his last game of a goal and assist, I just think he's going to come back in. I think that Leeds game is going to be so open, and I just think that mm. he can easily have a big impact on that. So I've gone for Mares, and I might even captain him. Ooh, that's a shout. That's a shout. I've um, I've got De Bruyne and I had Foden as a sort of one expensive-ish bench player, uh, but now he's going to come into the first team. Quite like I feel like he's going to start <laughs> he's the call games up. now. He's getting the call up. Uh, come on, Phil, big Phil, come on. Um, also backing Danny Ings. Feel like he's been overlooked a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's a bit more. Scoring, isn't a bit he? more yeah, he's a bit more expensive this time around, but um, he's got goals goals in his last two games. Uh, very tasty little fixture list coming up with West Brom at home next, Chelsea away, which is a free-for-all, um, and then Everton, Villa, Newcastle, Wolves coming up. So fancying Danny Ings and, uh, and defenders, not really many clean sheets flying around, so you might as well pick up Timothy, C- oh, here's the pronunciation, Castagna? Yes, I think, I think that's about right. I'll give I'm, you that. I'm going to go with that. Um, picking up assists three in two games um, without the clean sheets, so you might as well. Um, while, while nobody Lewin, is picking a clean sheet. Calvert-Lewin for me, he, he's a must-have at 7.2 oh. million, two hat-tricks in, in two games. He, he has Absolutely. to be in everyone's team, surely. I'm looking forward to him sort of winning the Euros for England next year. I think I tweeted <laughs> that out yesterday. That's the hope we all have, right? But he probably won't even be in the, I mean, in the squad. But <laughs> I'm not saying I'm on the bandwagon or anything or making any knee-jerk calls, but um, he will definitely be slipping through the winner in that final next year. <laughs> and I've called <laughs> um, my Calvert-Lewin England shirt already, so... Yeah, get on it, get on it. Um, and now finally, I, I've been putting this off because it's just a stressful situation. But um, 
we're going to bring in some 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 chats, some features over the weeks uh, throughout the the revamped Football Times podcast. And um, I feel like there's only one talking point this week, and and it's handball. Um, as mentioned, Spurs dealt a bit of a cruel, cruel blow at the end, or in my opinion, it was a cruel, cruel blow, uh, with a last-minute penalty against Eric Dyer, who handled the ball without even seeing the ball. Um, now, Mr. Stobbs, remove those Arsenal glasses. Um, <laughs> I don't have any red and white lenses for this. Um, what, did you, what did you make of that decision? It's, it's ludicrous, isn't it? It's, it's not handball. It's just, there's no sort of common sense being used. I think everyone is on the same page with this, aren't they? To put it simply, mm. it's just all very boring, isn't it? Talking about all these decisions all the time. <laughs> I, said, I said to my dad the other day, every time me and him speak about football after a weekend of games, all we do is talk about decisions, like VAR mistakes and things like calls that we don't agree with. Like, when was the last time we, we said to each other, oh, this, this wonder kid's doing well, or well, what a goal that was. It's always about these decisions. And I just think a few of these laws, particularly the handball one, has been made too intricate. There's too much detail and the fun is not there anymore. And I think a lot of managers have expressed that. I actually had a very similar, similar train of thought at the weekend. I, I, um, match of the day, I sort of don't quite get the same buzz when match of the day comes around now because obviously, and it's not their fault. It's not, it's not the guys for, Oh my goodness. I'm talking to match of the day magazine, deputy editor. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh, here we that go then. Change the narrative. <laughs> it's not their fault at all, but I, I feel like when it comes to highlights, all highlights, all highlights shows because uh, there are others available. Um, <laughs> but I feel like a lot of the, they've got to show these VAR decisions, these VAR calls, but, but every game sort of has two or three now and very big calls. And so you spend most of the, the highlights package where I want to be watching, you know, X, Y, or Z smashing in top in volleys and all that sort of stuff. I feel like, a, like so much time now is dedicated to this drawing lines on screens and all that sort of stuff. And that is obviously not the fault of any broadcaster. That's just kind of they're reporting on the action. But the action now is, is, is done in a trailer halfway up the other end of the country. That's um, it. And, and the handball rule is obviously just, I know obviously this wasn't a VAR fault because they were actually applying the law correctly. Yes. Um, but you do just wonder what, the, what is the end goal here? Like what, what, what were IFAB, the, the, the lawmakers, the guys in charge, what are they trying to achieve with this rule? I, I just don't quite see how this enhances football. I guess they're just trying to go so forensic to the point where they just want to make sure everyone's happy and everyone like it's just it's just too much basically it's too much you just need to now strip it back and, and apply common sense to it really don't we it's confusing it's robotic there's not much logic there it's almost like the rules have been made by people that haven't watched football like that's how ridiculous it is it's almost yeah. like every single person agrees with this apart from the people that need to make the law <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah absolutely Absolutely. And, um, and for those who don't know the law, um, I mean, that's basically everyone, but um, laws, uh, I've have instructed that if a ball strikes a player who has made their body, and then in quotes, unnaturally bigger, then they will be punished. Um, and, and very rarely the arm being above the shoulder is a natural position, other than when a player is falling, um, which is why, why that was given against Dyer. Um, but I, I almost think there's a bit of a weird bit of irony here, because they're saying... Um, this, this talk about natural positions, but then also saying that players have to alter the way they jump. So surely, <laughs> the natural jumping mechanism 
Yeah. Surely that is a natural action. Everyone's and, and by to like a pencil with their yeah. arms stuck to their sides. Yeah, to, to, get an, to get a natural position while jumping, you have to jump unnaturally is essentially what is going on there. And I'm, I just don't see it. I do not see it. It's madness. Um, Am I right in saying that aren't the Premier League trying to alter the rule and they're trying to alter a section of it to try and just bring it to the Premier League to be different? Yeah, and that's the final, the final bit I was going to come on to there. They are pushing for some sort of, of change to the rule, some sort of softening. Um, I think for now they're, they're advising referees to be, to be more subjective in their approach, um, which is obviously going to clear everything up and we'll all be happy and fine after this weekend. Um, the only, you know, the only, only annoying thing with that for me is that to have a rule changed halfway through the season, albeit right, that's what everyone wants, is that now like Tottenham have suffered from the old rule and obviously other teams will now benefit from it being different, if you know what I mean. But mm. I guess yeah. it needs to be changed. It's one of those, it feels quite early in the season and I th- to start, I mean, to prevent it from happening every week for the rest of the year, you, you hope something could change now before it's, you know, 36 games in and you change it for the last week. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But hopefully we never have to talk about decisions ever again. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can enjoy football more. <laughs> hopefully we can enjoy football. Um, and hopefully we can enjoy match of the day even more than we already do. Um, which is what, what I do. Um, no slight on them whatsoever, just purely, I don't like VAR decisions and handball decisions. <laughs> um, so what is in the magazine this week, Mr. Lee Stubbs? <laughs> this week's magazine is for nostalgic football fans. So we've got our league ladders, so you get a wall chart, all the little team shirts to track the table all through the season. That's for the Premier, Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two and the Scottish Premier League. Apart from that, we've got FIFA 21 guide because the game comes out next week. So that's quite an exciting time. Um, and of course, we've got the new season match tax. So any young collectors out there can get their hands on the new cards. Or old collectors. Or old old collectors, collectors, of course, yeah. Um, I, I'm missing my sort of weekly instalment of, of Rogue Sunland players from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. we'll Thank you back. very much, Mr. Lee Stubbs. It's a, it's a pleasure to see you again. Um, we will be back in the studio and our silky tones will come across and the nice microphones in the near future. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. <laughs> but anytime, anytime. And you can, in the meantime, you can come to radiotimes.com slash sport. Um, we've got pretty much every sport. If it's on TV, we're covering it. Uh, we've got French Open coming up in the next week. Um, Premier League fixtures. And then there's an international break next week. Um, so you get, get the lowdown on, on England coming up, on Wales coming up, whether Gareth Bale's going to part, take part. Who knows? Spurs fans, you're interested again. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, I'll speak to you next week. See you later. Cheers. Cheers.